Thank you so much for being here this morning, for taking this time. And those of you who dial in regularly with us and are part of the life of Gateway, thank you. Thank you for the life that we get to live out together. I'm going to send you a note this week about our budget. And I'm going to say in that note that I don't think many pastors have the privilege of feeling like the Apostle Paul felt toward the Philippians. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. And it's an extraordinary privilege to be able to pastor a church where you feel that way. And, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't get to feel that way even about every church that he pastored. So thank you for, I don't know, your life with us. We've been talking about money for the last few weeks at Gateway. And uh, it's appropriate timing. This is the budget season for us at Gateway. Today we're going to do things a little differently. Um, we're going to have some people help me work through our conversation. We usually have on Sunday morning here, I'll take some time and break open God's Word and try to apply that to our lives. This morning we're going to do that a little differently. We'll have some folks talking through this with me. This will be, let's call this Application Sunday. Let me kick us off with a word of prayer and then we're going to hear from George Gahungu. This is correct, George? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and Kyle and Rhonda Jessup. We've been talking about giving, and I wanted you guys to see uh, the face of giving. Let's pray. Lord God, we sense your presence. So we break open our chests, and we ask you to speak, to massage your truth into our hearts, and make yourself known to us. I recognize, Lord, that is a risky prayer to pray. You are extraordinarily generous and holy and awesome, and we cannot come near you without being changed. But that's our heart's desire, that we would be changed, that we would be more like you. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to be all in. And we are all of us, Lord, dragging our feet or dragging our toes, or holding on and dragging with our entire body. There is a part of us that does not want to be all in. But Lord, this morning we say to you, take us, we surrender, we are all in. We are all in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So George, where are you from? I'm from Burundi, Africa. So I know a little of your story. We don't have time to get into it this morning, but we will at another time. And I know that you have had occasion in your life and the means in your life to be extraordinarily generous yourself. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. So I also know, George, that English is your... Fifth language, is it? Sixth language. Sixth language. Yes. So most of us only speak three or four. So we... Oh, really? <laughs> but we will have some patience with you. Your English is already a little better than mine, but that's not saying much. So how long have you been in the United States? I think now it's going to be one year, eight months. Okay. How long have you been in Northern Virginia? Uh, it's going to be like six or seven months. Okay. Six yeah. or seven months. Yeah. You came to the United States under uh, difficult circumstances. Yeah. And you ended up having to leave your, really your whole life behind in Burundi. Yes. That must have been an extraordinarily difficult and heavy thing for you to do. Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Okay? Yes. I didn't ask your permission to do this, but I'm going to. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate your smile, George. Thank you. I know that there is a lot of joy in you. I also know that sometimes that smile masks, covers over a great deal of difficulty. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you now to pass the microphone to Rhonda, and when you want to interrupt anything either of them are saying, you have my permission. So just steal the microphone from Rhonda. So Rhonda and Kyle, either one of you, you got to know George how. How did this happen? Well, my first recollection was Kyle bringing George home one day, and I thought, who does he have with him now? I mean, really, that's what I thought. (laughs) And they were working on a project in the backyard. (laughs) I think Kyle met George through Benevolence Team. And I would say from the get-go, it was just so easy to be around him. And I learned of his story, as I know a lot of you guys know a little bit about. And once you get to know George, it's easy to delve in. And we just started identifying some of his basic needs that needed to be met. You know, those basic needs, it's not hard. You know, come to dinner. You know, do you need some milk? Do you need a ride? And a lot of his needs at that time, he was new to Northern Virginia, and he had a lot of things going on administratively. He had a lot of appointments that he had to go to for different services and medical appointments and dental appointments. And he didn't have a car, and he didn't have a license, and he didn't have an ID. And a lot of the help that we did for him in the beginning was that, and if I can interject, it was by no means just Kyle and I doing this. We are one piece of the pie of a lot of people, and it's a good story. So why, Kyle? (laughs) Well, I look better when my wife talks for me, so keep going. (laughs) No, just to elaborate what Rhonda said, Ian Cormier caught me one day and that's how I think George came to the church because he came here he needed prayer and Anne was someone who spoke French a little bit better than I do but <laughs> un petit peu right that might um, be Spanish I'm not sure yeah. go ahead <laughs> but but there were so many people and as we spoke yesterday and, and just went through the notes about how they reached out Ann was great, and Ann and Kim have both spent, I mean, we have two resources we have is our time and our money, and Ann and Kim spent a lot of time and still are in trying to help George in other things that we wouldn't think of, but we've invited George into our lives, and and God has richly blessed us. I don't know who Reggie's wife Suda is, but I feel like I should because she has spent so much time helping George to pass his driver's license. Okay? Help I him understand and, it. And George, you just got your driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in Burundi, Burundi is a British system, right? So you drive on the, the wrong side of the road. Okay. Watch out. <laughs> so George now has his license 
beware. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sorry. Come no, that's all right. But now that he has his license, the Dijanis gave him a car. And the Dijanis helped George get insurance for his car. And I think Jeff pulled in some favors because it's kind of tough when you don't have credit established here. So, again, time, money, effort. And, oh, by the way, when George first got here, Jeff had George come work for him briefly on the side. And, and that had to stop for, for a couple of reasons, one of which because of George needing going through the asylum process, he needed to be here legally. So we had to go through and get a Social Security card, step in Laura and Rhonda, who one of the many things that they did was help him go through this process. So it's just been a very cool thing to see all the people at Gateway invest their time and their money. You know, just to elaborate on that, George is very special. And I'm a shy person. I don't know everybody out there. It's just my nature. But the people that I do know, I know of multiple people right here, and I haven't asked their permission, so I won't call them out, but have had people staying in their house the same way, you know, George has been gracious enough to stay in ours. So they're invested that, people doing that in our congregation, and people paying other people's car payments, and people paying rent payments, not going through the benevolence team, just doing this, showing God's love. Y'all, you know, pat yourself on the back because it's a very cool place to call church home. So I loved your phrase, Kyle. You said, George has been gracious enough to stay in your home. So I don't want to be mercenary, but we said a couple of weeks ago that there are benefits to giving. So what have been the benefits? Being generous to George. Uh, wow. Let's see. I lost my job. I <laughs> uh, got hired again, struggling at work, and more blessed now and more at peace now than I think I've been in my life. I have someone, uh, when he stays with us, wake up like we do this morning, 6 a.m., and we start reading the Bible together. We're watching a series that Laura Maffey's running through her uh, neighborhood fellowship group called The Truth Series. And we'll get up and, you know, it's sometimes 15 minutes, half hour, runs into three hours. And getting back to George. That's why if, you don't have a job. If, if, <laughs> well, wow. If you know his story, I encourage you to get to know George. But what this man left behind, you just have no idea where this man is and the troubles he faces, and yet he has such peace. And his peace comes through God, and it comes through God's Word. And it's just been just such a privilege to, you know, God has brought him into my life. And I guess to summarize, he's made me a better father. He's made me a better husband, better coach, better friend. He's drawn me closer to God. You ever heard the term downward spiral? Yeah. This is like an upward spiral. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, as, as far as the giving, I mean, I think it gets to the point where we either believe in this or we don't. We either mm -hmm. go through the motions or we don't. And when it gets right down to it, is it our money or is it God's money? 
Wow, all God's people said? George, Rhonda Kyle, thank you. Crystal, I'm going to ask you to come up. So I'm going to interview Crystal next, and Crystal, that's a tough act to follow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. I'm talk numbers. I wanted to just ask you some practical questions. So we talked last week, I think, about how we can give at Gateway. And I said you would give a little bit more detail there. So how can we give at Gateway? How does that happen? Mechanically, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, The most obvious one is that you can drop a check or cash in the offering plate, which is what most of us do. You can also set up using your internet home banking system, and there are various ones out there. You can set up and set up Gateway as a payee so that we get paid just like you pay your light bill or your mortgage or whatever. If people have questions about how to do that, I have some instructions. Just send me an email. I can email those back to you. Those are the main ways to give. You actually, I think, brought some statistics together about who uses what mechanisms, and I thought that was interesting. So how do we give? As far as the mechanisms? Yeah, that sure, we... and, and anything else you Okay. Have. Yeah. Well, I mean, to start with, the most obvious is that 99% of us choose to give, you know, a check or the home banking system, uh, you know, a, a, tra- a trackable system. Can we all say schedule a charitable <laughs> deduction, right? In terms of frequency, we're a little bit more of a mixed bag. 17% of us give, we're weekly tithers. 19% of us are biweekly. The largest single group are monthly givers, and that's 33%, and then everybody else falls into the other category. So a little bit all over the board. And then in terms of how we give, the thing that's surprising for a bunch of very tech-savvy Northern Virginians is that we go decidedly old school when it comes to giving. 81% of us drop a check into the the offering basket. 1% of us use mail, and uh, 18% of us use an internet banking, which I thought was surprising. So for... Actually, I think a little more than a couple of years now, you have served as our treasurer at Mm -hmm. Gateway. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Crystal. I told you. He pinky swore that he was not going to do this. You have no idea. You have no idea how big a thank you that is. So thank you. Did I say thank you? Yes. Okay. (laughs) You've had some, I thought, encouraging I'm giving stories or little incidences or doodads yeah. that I wanted you to share because you shared those with me. So, yeah. yeah. In addition to the treasurer, we use an outsourced bookkeeping firm, and there's things that they can't or won't do for us. One of those things is process our weekly deposit. So that somehow felt me. And the mechanics of doing that, you know, I usually do that after a long day of work, and I'm tired and cranky, and I think i got to go make the deposit. So, you know, that mature, spirit-filled Christian heart comes to the front. David, are you familiar with that mature, spirit-filled Christian heart? Yes. (laughs) But it's amazing how God has used that process to bless me. And it's very much little things. We have one giver that puts God and a little smiley face on the memo line of every single tide check that they give us. <laughs> I have processed a lot of those checks and it makes me smile every time I see it. Some of you write thank you on the memo line. And I initially think, well, shouldn't that be the other way around? <laughs> And then I see great intentionality and planning, too, in some of our givers. We have one giver that uh, uses an internet banking system, and they have 
there's a memo and it says every Friday. And that doesn't mean anything to me. And I know it doesn't mean anything to the bank. So that's obviously a note to that person. So to see the consistency in the summertime or, you know, people will miss church for whatever reason. So I'll see checks come in and on the memo line, it's, you know, tied times two. If it's in the summer, it's times four, six, whatever. You didn't know how much could be communicated via the memo line of a check, did you? (laughs) So to see that consistency and that generosity come through has been very much a blessing for me. I want to add, we looked at a bunch of Old Testament. We lifted up and settled down in several Old Testament passages a couple of weeks ago, and we made the note that ritualized regular giving is part of God's pattern. Ritualized regular giving actually strengthens our connection with God. And it's encouraging to know that people are in, intentional and regular about it. You had one more um, note. You remember just any other comment? You... Um, well, the counterfeit cash story? or Oh, yeah, sure. I'll be okay. <laughs> Let's hear the counterfeit cash story. This is more just, yeah, a funny thing. It doesn't really talk about the intentionality or whatever. But we'd taken some sort of collection, and we had some cash that you have to take into the bank because we always have coin and you cannot do coin through the drive-thru, okay? If any of you didn't know that, let me impress this upon you. So I go into the bank to make the deposit, and they're going through, you know, and she stops. And I had noticed that there was some cash in there that looked a little funny. And I thought, oh, darn. <laughs> Here we go. And it was, I mean, we're talking $3 bills. They'd gotten something on it. It looked like makeup or something because they were kind of shiny. Well, they brought the manager over. They brought the security manager over. They're using the little test pen. So we're having visions of Gateway's treasurer arrested for <laughs> yeah. passing counterfeit dollar bills. And I'm thinking, it's $3. If I'm going to counterfeit, I'm going to go with 20s, okay? <laughs> if I'm going to... Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not, okay? <laughs> I think you said to me one other thing. You said some people have come to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, tithing is a spiritual discipline, just like anything else. Easier for some of us and harder for some of us. If you have questions, if you need to talk about it, if you need accountability in this, this is something that you should be talking about with your small groups and your friends, just like anything else. I have had a couple of people at Gateway approach me about, you know, oh, you know, I'm thinking that I would like to try to increase to this. You know, can you help me figure it out? Or somebody, you know, has just come and said, you know, I, I don't get this giving thing. What do people do? And so, you know, it's absolutely one of those things. Talk to your small groups about it. Talk to each other about it. This is something that should not be something that we try to keep too secret. Okay. Thank you, Crystal. Let's give Crystal a round of applause. <laughs> Phil and Trish Salee have, for a couple of rotations, led a class for us outside of, you know, obviously a Sunday morning setting, called Financial Peace. And it's material based on the, the books and the teaching of a guy named Dave Ramsey, if any of you are familiar with. He does a radio show, and he has other formats for his message. Diana and I actually took the course, and it was extremely helpful for us. And Phil and Trish have some decided and, I believe, some really godly notions about how to handle money and what to do with money. We're going to be quick, Phil and Trish, because George talks so long. But I want to set you up with a couple of things real quick. I'm going to read from Matthew 6. So this is Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, I wish you would turn. If you have one of those Bibles that has the words of Jesus in red, then this is all red. So this is Jesus talking. I won't read the whole 
section like I was going to, but I'm going to start with verse 19. We're going to essentially go through the end of the chapter. So listen to this. This is Jesus talking. And I want to tell you real quick how I think the Sermon on the Mount happened. I heard one of the lieutenants years ago of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King say, you know, how I have a dream speech. He stands up in front of 500,000 people. and How does he remember all of that? And they basically said, he's given that speech hundreds of times around the country. He just picks different elements of it. I think that's what was happening in the Sermon on the Mount, which is also explains why it would have been so easily memorable for them. I think this was Jesus' stump speech, or one of them, which, in a way, right, underscores what he's saying here. So listen to this. Okay, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And he's not going after guilt here. He's pretty practical. You store up stuff here, and it doesn't last. He goes on, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, in the spiritual world, where moth and rust don't destroy, thieves can't break in and steal it, because, important principle, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't have time for those next two paragraphs, but let's look over at verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat. This is a a message about worrying, but it's really a kind of specific kind of worrying. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't even worry about really providing for yourselves. What you'll eat, drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Look, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more important than clothes? He goes on, talks about how, you know, God takes care of the lilies. Look at them. They're beautiful. He's going to take care of you. You're more important than the lilies. The high point of this is, this verse is a life verse for many people that I've known over the years. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first. Make it your first priority. Make it the governing principle of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, being rightly connected to him, rightly behaving. And everything else will be given to you. It will be added to your life. God will take care of it. You know, as Kyle said, we're either in with that or we're not. It's either God's stuff or it's not. We either believe this or we don't. In our lives, every day, our choices, and especially the choices we make regarding money, reflect whether or not we believe that. One more note, y'all. The hugely popular board game by Milton Bradley called The Game of Life, some of you played that with your kids, it has an interesting history that I think reflects our values and our changing values. Listen to this. In 1798, 1798, before Milton Bradley was born, a board game from England arrived in the U.S. It became extremely popular. It was called The New Game of Human Life. Acquiring virtues sped you through the game while vices slowed you down. Parents were encouraged to play this game with their children. The game's main point was, and this was a quote on the game, Life is a voyage that begins at birth and ends at death. God is at the helm, fate is cruel, and your reward lies beyond the grave. 1798. 1860. In 1860, Milton Bradley borrowed the idea of the game of human life, and he transformed it and introduced a simple board game called the checkered game of life. The good path included honesty and bravery. The difficult path included idleness and disgrace. Industry and perseverance led to wealth and success. Bradley described it as, quote on the box, 
a highly moral game that encourages children to lead exemplary lives and entertains both old and young with the spirit of friendly competition. Then in 1960, the Milton Bradley Company released a commemorative edition, and they called it simply the Game of Life. It sold 35 million copies. Some of you had it. In this game, you earn money. You buy furniture. You have babies. Vices and virtues are non-existent. The winner of the game is the one who, at life's day of reckoning, makes the most money and retires to millionaire estates. <laughs> what? In the 1990s, Milton Bradley game designers tried to make the game less about money. They wanted to emphasize good deeds, like saving an endangered species or solving a pollution problem. However, the rewards for the good deeds was cash. <laughs> Doing those things, you earn just as much by winning a reality TV show. <laughs> the 2011 version, players can attend school, travel, start a family. Players do whatever they want. If they earn points, they can reward themselves with a sports car. There is now no end. There's no last square. You can stop any time. And the box says... A thousand ways to live your life, you choose. Our values, and specifically our values toward money, have evolved over the years. Don't you think? There's never been a point since money was first introduced and became common currency that we didn't see the importance of it and the need for it. So why talk about money in church, Phil? Trish, why talk about money? So, as you said, a huge part of our lives. It's, it affects us. We're confronted with choices about money every day. I challenge you to go through a day without choosing something about money because you even choosing not to spend it is a choice. And, you know, frankly, if we talk about it, if we talk about it with God, we talk about it with our partner, we talk about it with other believers and those that have the same priorities that we do, we're going to make better choices. So I was reminded of a verse this morning from Proverbs. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. We need to talk about it. We are going to many cases make some different decisions than we would have if i mean just the fact of talking about it brings accountability money really reveals our priorities and a lot of times what we want our priorities to be aren't what they actually are if you start looking at how we spend our money that's a good point so being able to sort of review it talk about it think about and, and have that con communication with others uh, is the first step really to having uh, freedom with our finances Trish, I, I uh, didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but this is like a yes or no question. I know y'all talk about money. So has it ever been difficult for y'all to talk about money, for you and Phil? Yes, actually, my answer to your question, why I talk about money, is if you aren't going to talk about it, you're going to fight about it. And it's totally true, because when you aren't talking to each other about it, you fight about it. When you're not talking to your kids about it, what do they do? They whine and beg for money, and you fight with them about it. You, you fight about it with the people around you. Phil and I have fought about money. I don't think we really have fought about money for the last, I don't know, four or five years on a, a regular basis. But it was hard when we were in graduate school, when we were a young family. We didn't know what each other's priorities were, and so we would just go and spend the money knowing that we had money in the bank, and then we'd fight about it later. You know, why did you make that purchase? Why did, you know, we banned each other from bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> How is, I mean, we've already said, but I'll give you both a chance to weigh in. 
How is money connected to our spiritual lives? I'll start. You can't serve both God and money. That's the actual Bible verse. That's the one I skipped, by the way, in Matthew 6. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so you can't serve both God and money. If you are serving God, then he will direct how you spend your money. It is completely interconnected. Talking about money or making big purchases was very anxiety-provoking for me. It still is. I do not like to spend a lot of money. It just makes me scared that that means that I might not have that money available later. And it was a lack of faith on my side. It was me saying, I have to control this. And As if you could. Yes, of course. And so spiritually, it was me not giving over that part of my life to God and trusting him with how he would take care of me. Um, based on our decisions. Well, you know, as like you pointed out with the verse that our heart is going to be where our treasure is. It, it, money is one of those things that's always going to be pulling at our affection for God. So it is critical to our relationship with God that we bring those things that are vying for attention to God and so that, you know, we are keeping money in, in control and that we're allowing God to, to work through us in that. It's also a place where we can see God working, and it increases our faith. There have been many times where we just, like, okay, we don't know where it is, and when we pray about it, and we see God provide, or for other people and in community, I'm part of the prayer team, and it's been a privilege to be able to pray with people down here in in the church and then have reported the next week that they had this huge financial need, and we prayed about it, and, you know, and I'm praying, and trying to muster up some faith that God's really going to take care of this need. And they come back and say, you know, God provided exactly what I needed in this miraculous way. And it's just like, it's such an encouragement. And giving is another way in which, as well, where our connection of God, with God is increased. We receive joy from giving. It's just part of the way God made us. And when we put our, it's also part of our, our priorities and our perspective on money. So when we give, as you mentioned last week, I think, it helps us to put our priorities in line with God's priorities. And it's just wired us to be more connected to God when we acknowledge that God's really the owner of our money and we are just stewards of that money. So, Celise, I know that, you know, we talked about how giving is its own reward and I believe that God blesses a generous life and Jesus also talks about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We just, we want our generosity to be in secret. I don't want to steal your blessing, but I've already stole the, the Jessup, so... I know that you have been extremely generous to others over the years, and you've had some freedom to be able to do that financially. I have admired the way you guys handle your money, so how? What are some tools that have helped the Salis handle their money? Okay, I'll start. The, the biggest problem I would say that we have had historically, and every person that we've talked to has the same exact problem, overspending on certain categories. For us, it's dining and groceries. Sometimes clothing, it just it kind of goes back and forth. But food is number one overspending category. And a long time ago, before um, knowing about Dave Ramsey, we heard about using cash for those items that we overspend. So we actually have envelopes with different labels on them, and we spend cash on groceries. We spend cash on dining. And it really, really helps to see your money. You see that you have $40 left in your dining budget, and it's the 10th of the month. And you think, oh, I want to go out and get something at Panera. And then you see you've got $40 for the next 20 days. And you think, you know, I don't really need anything from Panera. (laughs) (laughs) 
So another really big tool, I call it a tool, is prayer. We pray about our decisions about money, and it's been fantastic to see out of just praying, we'll get done praying, and we realize we're on the same page with what our priorities were. We didn't think we were. We were kind of fighting about it, but we pray about it, and God brings us into the same place. And do you want me to do savings categories? You can do that one. Well, okay, so on a real practical basis, we budget. It's just critical to us to have that budget, that plan of how we're going to spend our money. Why? Um, If you don't have a plan, inevitably the money just kind of vanishes, and you look back and like, okay, well, where did it all go? And to be able to plan and to see that and to track it is just essential. It's just one of those things that just money just tends to fly away. So one of the mechanisms y'all use, Phil, is you... You have a budget. You decide how you're going to spend everything. And then, Trish, in certain categories, you take out the money that you're going to spend and put it cash. In an envelope, yeah. Okay. Weirdo. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we use software to do that. There's, there's many software tools available. It's so much easier with online banking you to track what you spend. There's, you know, there's a lot of tools like that that you can use. I would definitely encourage, you know, use the technology that we have to the degree you're comfortable with that, but learn a system and don't make it too complex. Keep it simple. And we also have a savings account. To the bank, it looks like a big lump sum cash, but we have record of what all that cash is for, and it's for practical things like car insurance that you only have to pay every few months if, uh, if you're on a twice-a-year um, payment plan, and it's for other things like Christmas, whoever spends on Christmas. We try to save a certain amount each month, and then when Christmas rolls around, we don't have all this anxiety over being able to make bills in January because we already had a plan that we kept track of for the whole year. Can I ask y'all, when you're doing your budget, how do you decide what you're going to give? So for us, I mean, we talk about it and we pray about it. We start with a rule of thumb, and it's been, most of our discussions have been about giving, have been how can we give more, or there's this other need, could we once you start in on a track and you start planning and you're being intentional about giving, God blesses you through that, you start to sort of want to find ways to, to add to that. So, and inevitably, that's where one of us will, there'll be a need and we'll talk about it and, and pray about it. And once we start talking about it, we find that we both have sort of led or felt similarly towards certain things to give. So it's, it's really a, a kind of a process. And, you know, that's, one of those things where God's blessed us to be able to receive joy from doing that. And one of the things that we save for is to be able to have money to give as uh, needs arise that we didn't anticipate. I thought that meet. was a neat thing when y'all said that. Yeah. So you budget to be able to give unexpectedly exactly. if some unexpected need arises. It's not like we have hundreds of dollars in that category, but if I have a friend who's sick, and I have $20 in that budget that I can go and purchase one more chicken and make double meal that night and bring it to them. You know, if I can do something like that once a month, it doesn't have to be a big thing. But it gives me freedom that we have this category that I can go and bless somebody else that God's brought into my life. I'm going to skip to the end. We talked a couple of weeks ago, and we've talked in the past, about maybe Phil and Trish taking the Ramsey material and some of that, and some, just some biblical principles and reducing that down to three or four or five weeks in a small group setting. And y'all have done some thinking about putting together some material like that that we could use in our small groups. A couple of weeks ago when we talked, we talked about some categories that y'all are thinking around as might, might be weeks for, 
for this material. And I was fascinated by a couple of these, so I just wanted you to make some brief comments about this. One of them you said you thought it was important that we talk about that you can't be an island with your money. So what do you mean? I'm the one who said that. I think that people think that they can spend money and it doesn't affect people around them. But it is actually physically impossible to spend money or not spend money without affecting the people around you, even if it's just the simple thing that you're contributing to a business. And I think that the more that you realize that, that this money affects not just yourself, but affects the people around you, it affects your family, affects um, the people that you're purchasing from, you have a choice with what to do with it that it changes your perspective of just kind of just spending money spontaneously. I've never regretted planning a purchase, and I have felt when I've spontaneously spent money that later on realized I could have used that for something else, or maybe God might have been tugging at my heart to use it for something else. And then I had this realization that this was for... You know, this is me personally, where I was spiritually. I really felt like I had robbed God. I had been given a certain amount, and I didn't think about that. I thought about what my cravings were. I thought about what my temptations were. And in effect, you know, God brought a need before me, and I couldn't meet that need. And that's a really hard thing to realize. Okay, we don't have much time, so we got to do this quickly, but this was awesome. We also talked about the, the faith how it relates to our money and, you know, God providing kind of thing. And y'all brought up the example of George Mueller. So if you're not familiar with George Mueller, look him up and read some on George Mueller. It's just a remarkable story who did ministry, you know, not too dissimilar as like a missionary, not too dissimilar from Ina, and he did it all by faith, just relying on God. And we talked about faith and money, and Trish, you talked about the contentment game. So do you mind? Sure. I can talk about this because it's been at least six years. (laughs) It's not, well, it's probably will be emotional. Anyway, I think that, you know, everybody does this to a point, but especially when we first moved here, um, we had just finished graduate school and I felt a little bit like we were behind the game with regards to accumulating a house or, you know, whatever it is that we were supposed to have done by the time that we had been married for 10 years. We didn't have any of that, and we were heavily in debt. And every time I walked into a friend's house, this was the first time that I'd walked into a lot of people's homes who where they owned their own home. Before then, a lot of people that I knew rented, so it didn't really come up until uh, moving here. And I would mentally move our family into that home. Like, hmm, if we lived here, what would we have here? Or I wish I had that couch. So or, you're oh, basically really like kicking that. the rest of us out. Pretty like, much, okay. yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, so if I've been in your home somewhere in between 04 and 09, then I've done that with your home. <laughs> <laughs> but I did a study twice by Linda Dillo called Calm My Anxious Heart, and it was all about contentment. And really, the opposite of contentment is anxiety. You're fearful that you, you feel like you need more. You need more to satisfy something, to give you peace or whatever, to make you feel better about the way you stand with other people. And I realized through that study and through some realizations later on that I can continue to play this contentment game with what other people have and be envious of what they have. Or I can be thinking instead of putting myself in perspective with the whole world, which, you know, is pretty much a global perspective. But there are people in the world who are happy with their life in a little one-room home that they all sleep in the same room, they all eat in the same room and cook in the same room, 
and they're genuinely happy with life. And why can't I be that way? And when I start to feel that discontent creep up in me, I think about those people. I think about the stories that Ina shared last week. I mean, what an encouragement. These people, that their lives and the way that she can um, share with us, they have open-air buildings that they do ministry in. I mean, we complain that we don't have a church building. They don't have one either. They've got a roof. And they're happy. God has given them joy. And I realized that my priorities were misguided. They weren't God's priorities. So use the comparison game the other way then. Yes. Money is critically important in our spiritual health and happiness. So let me wrap up. Here's what we've learned over the past few weeks. First of all, we learned that giving our money away to God-honoring causes is a sure path to sustainable happiness. We also learned that through the giving of our money, we actually become more like God. And we learned that the regular and ritualized giving of our resources to God-honoring causes strengthens our connection with God. And it helps reduce our fears. Jesus reminded us that Jesus reminded us that giving is reciprocated. And finally, we learned that greed is dangerous. Greed is dangerous and it hides itself from its victims. Money's the money God. Modus operandi, the way he operates, includes blindness to our own heart. I like what Tim Keller says about greed. I read this quote the other day. Some years ago, Keller says, I was doing a seven-part series of talks on the seven deadly sins at a men's breakfast. My wife Kathy told me, I'll bet the week you deal with greed will be the lowest attendance. She was right by far. People packed it out for lust and wrath and even pride. But nobody thinks they are greedy. So over the years, I've had people, some of you, come to me and confess all kinds of struggles with almost every kind of sin, almost. But I can't ever recall anyone coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. We spent four weeks talking about money, talking about giving in particular. Not because we were intentionally trying to beat a dead horse. We did so because money is so very, very important to our health and happiness. Because greed is so very, very dangerous. And because greed hides from us so very, very well. And all God's people said. Now, we've said during these four weeks that our God is extraordinarily generous. And he is. One of the most memorable verses of Scripture, right? You've seen the signs on Sunday football games, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. And what he gave, uh, it far outdoes any giving we're going to do. He gave his only son. Jesus encouraged us to celebrate that gift. And so we're going to do so briefly this morning. We're going to remember him as a way of wrapping up our time spent talking about giving. So I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. And uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going this morning, we're going to begin our time with a time of confession. So we're going to go to him and open our hands and let him examine them. And we're going to say, God, If there are areas in our lives when we have clenched our hands, when we have held things to ourselves, 
and or for ourselves that should have been released, then forgive us. There may be other sin on your heart and on your mind this morning. Why don't you take all that you know of yourself and let's bring it this morning to all that we know of God and let's make confession right now. Let's go before him quietly. Almighty God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, our lives are littered with many very specific sins that are abhorrent to you and even to our own conscience. We ask you to have mercy on us this morning and forgive us because of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we stake our claim and that's where we make our petition this morning. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.